Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello, welcome back to The Wine Down. In today's episode, we're talking about a whole bunch of different topics. Scott and I have been to the um, CRN Pipeline Conference um, up here on the sunny Gold Coast, and we're going to take you through some of what I think the industry believe are some of the big industry topics that we should all be thinking about. So um, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to The Wine Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm Nick and this is... Scott. Hello, Scott. How are you? Good, thank you, Nick. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, it looks sunny out there. Where are we? What are yes. we drinking? Well, we're, we're on the Gold Coast. Um, as I found in, in Melbourne and Sydney at the moment, it's raining like nothing else. Apparently, so, uh, Sydney was okay today, but over yeah. the last few days, it's been... Oh, there you go. No, we're on the Gold Coast today. We're actually at, a, uh, at an industry event, uh, CRN Pipeline, and it's a big sort of... Up, update session from lots of different sources on what's happening, where things are going, how to get there. Yeah, it's been fascinating, actually. Yeah. So it's, it's the last afternoon, everybody's gone off to play golf, and we thought we'd sit down and record some wind-downs for you. As, as, as you do. Yes. As, as you do. <laughs> uh, so we're at the uh, the lovely uh, Sheraton Mirage. We are, up by SeaWorld here. Up, up yes. Up on the yes. sunny Gold Coast. Um, Wonderful So, place. Scott, what are we drinking? Oh, so we found a lovely bottle of um, Wirra Wirra Catapult, um, which I actually wasn't that familiar with um, in, at the bar here. And um, I tell you what, it's, it's actually quite a nice Shiraz. It's a McLaren Vale. It's a 2020. Mm. And it's um, it's quite good. I tell you what, there's, there's this... Um, I was reading the back of the label here. This is quite a funny thing. Um, so the original um, winemaker, uh, Greg Trott, um, had all these weird and wonderful ideas, and one of them was to build a medieval siege machine, like a trebuchet, okay, yep. uh, otherwise known as a catapult, to literally send bottles of wine, or fine wine that he produced, across into all the neighbouring vineyards. Okay. <laughs> now, he's since passed, but um, they've said, um, look, we're going to name this, um, this, this particular Shiraz uh, the, uh, the catapult, um, oh. to honour the dream. Wow. Yes. How about that? But it's quite nice wine. I, I had a little sip there. I enjoy it. Well, it's, it's better than... Uh, was, I ran into a wine the other day. This is flat, dry red. <laughs> it's clearly not reimaginative, but no. I, I thought this was quite um, quite interesting. Yes, very, very yes. nice. Very yeah, nice. It's a nice drop. Cool. Mm. There we are. So you should definitely try that one. It's try that one out. It's not a pub wine. It's quite nice. No, no, it's actually um, it's actually quite nice. Look, we're, we're do a um, do a, a really good range, the, the, the church block, which is quite commonly known. But um, this is this is a nice offshoot. I, I don't mind this at all. So the event we're at. Now, for, oh. the, for those of you who haven't been to an IT industry event, the way these events normally go is there's a bunch of sessions giving you useful content and information. There's the odd session by a sponsor vendor yes. getting us to buy themselves and potentially sell it to you. Um, and there's an exhibition hall. That's right. Where vendors talk about their wares. But yeah. what we're going to focus on today is really some of that, some of that guidance and leadership we were being given by the speakers, which I mm. think is is really useful to share. I know, these, I know it's an IT industry event, but the the broad macro view of what everyone was talking about, I think, is useful for every business. Oh, look, absolutely. There was some very good content here. I was, I was quite impressed. Yep. 
So, so the first, we'll, we'll start, we'll, we'll do it in order of the agenda. The yes. first thing we addressed was skill shortages. Oh, skill shortages. <laughs> not, and not exactly just uh, the odd person here or there. Yes. There's a, there are massive skill shortages across the IT industry. To some respect, this is a broader, industry, uh, a broader issue across um, other industries as well. But look, at, uh, especially in the IT industry, um, it's really hard finding skilled people. Yeah, right and so, so we're, we've got this kind of pincer movement of no immigration mm. at the moment, which COVID has caused, plus everybody digitizing. And there hasn't been a higher demand for technology people. And that's meaning good people are really hard to find. And the salaries and the rates are being pushed up dramatically. Oh, um, mm. And then there's competition for roles. So um, we found in our business that uh, you know, one of our team was approached by a big finance company and offered double what we were paying, and we were paying right in the middle of the industry norm. So. Mm. And it's um, and look in yeah, it's that, that's that's really hard to deal with. It's not a I don't think it's a long term issue. But as per Economics 101, supply and demand, it's yeah. those that can you know, pay or do the uh, uh, appropriate requirements to you know, keep people attracted are the ones that are going to win. And so it's not just the dollar issue. There's, no, there's, there's, it's very yeah. interesting when we're you know, unpacking the whole concept of, of what happens when there's a skill shortage and suddenly it's the candidates that are driving the conversation. So people are turning around and saying, I want, I want to be able to work from home. I want flexibility in where I mm. live. Yeah, I don't want to have to be present in the office. I want to work in a way which is all around delivering outcomes rather than delivering hours. <laughs> and that's, a, that's been a driver for a while, but now it's really coming to the fore. And um, legacy businesses which have a demand for uh, bums on seats for a certain amount yeah. of time, they're losing people um, because there's, mm. there's better work options out there. And mm. I, certainly I know with my team who write software, some of them do way better in the middle of the night than they do during the day. Um, and I really want the output from them. I don't, I don't yeah. want nine to five, Monday to Friday. I want the output. And it gets hard when they're not delivering the output. That's a, a management issue. But people want flexibility. They don't want to have to live in and near a city. Hmm. And we've got one of our team members who's moved up the coast so he could buy yeah. somewhere and, and we work perfectly happily with that mm. and and those things i think yeah all businesses need to be aware when it's a candidate's market they're going to call how they want to work that yeah. interview you not the other way yeah. around I, I found it interesting and we'll, we'll get to this a little later on though but um there's there's companies now offering um nfts instead of shares as employee share options uh, yes so that was that was a conversation we will get to that in, in a little later on um that that staff you, you think about how we motivate staff, and it's you know, Australia. It's quite interesting. They have brought in the employee share option schemes, mm. but there's now employee token option schemes coming out. Oh, yes. Employees want more. Yes. So non fungible tokens or fungible tokens. We'll talk about all that in a bit. Instead of equity in the business, seems mm. to be more attractive. Primarily, I think, because that's something they can trade, and stock options aren't. Hmm. And look, some of this. Um, well, we, we will get to this. Is some of this um, near W three or Web three? content. I mean, I'm, I was surprised. I'm, I like to think I'm pretty much across, at least at a high level, most things that are going on in the industry and, we're, and you know, maybe not know all the specific technical details about that, but I was surprised about the amount I didn't really know. Uh, yeah, I, I was the same. So I was, 
I, uh, I know quite a lot about this space. I know yeah. what an NFT is. I've written a blockchain. I know all of those things. I still learnt tons yes. in that session. Yeah. And we'll talk about yeah. that in a second. We've got to, uh, we've got to get to the ec economic outlook first. Uh, okay, skill shortages, though. Yes. Um, an interesting statistic was brought up that uh, as far as the IT industry goes, 70% of the industry um, were born outside of Australia. Wow. And uh, it doesn't mean that... Um, uh, it doesn't mean that they were still outside of Australia, but uh, you know, it may have emigrated here a long time ago. But um, just the fact that there is that the industry has grown so much, uh, so large in such a short period of time, that when you look at all the people coming in, going through universities, getting trained, getting roles, and various things, that um, we, we've got such a diverse set of backgrounds now. Yeah, well, I I, I think we're struggling as a nation to create a a pathway into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I, I think we're, we're very good at creating liberal arts students. Um, I think mm. we're less good at creating science and technology graduates. I, I do wonder to what degree the universities are um, really up to date and up, up to the, the... I think it's very hard for them, right? Yeah. So, so it takes so long to get a course all the way through and accredited and approved. Mm. The technology's moved. And yeah. you're actually better off with people doing things like coding boot camps and stuff like that. That's just it. We can turn around graduates within six months. Yet oh, on the other, well, school leavers. Yeah, in okay, six months, it's true yeah? too, um, <laughs> as we have. Um, um, but um, yeah, like six months of hands-on. Here, do this. Here, do this. Now, try this. Work yep. on this project a bit under this supervision. Produces quite an, a, a good entry-level. Sort and of programming, for creating, example, it's creating good outcomes, yeah. and they're learning. And we we tend to work on the latest and greatest tech. So yeah, that's an attractor. <laughs> well, you know, we're not which is we're good writing things in Visual Basic six. Mm. And look, we we would have a hard time attracting talent if we were doing a lot of legacy work. Yes, um, as well, which which yes. is actually and it's it's still needed, which is a difficult part in in our industry too. Oh, it is um, difficult. So, um, yes, uh, not enough people. Yep, wages uh, wage pressures going up. Conditions, therefore, very being very flexible. Um, it does come down to an element of if uh, if the people just aren't available, mm -hmm. you start to look for other ways of doing things. Yeah, automation. Yes. How do we get workflows implemented? How do we automate pr processes I, I, in the business? I think you're really right there. I actually don't think there's a silver bullet to the skill shortage. Mm. I think we're going to have to get better at doing more with less. Yeah, like I've, I've looked at some organisations saying they're they're taking on more graduates and interns and they're trying to have their own training programs and that's and that, look, that's great, uh, but it's that's only one part of the situation. One yes. part of the, it's it's fixing. What we ultimately saw previously was let's outsource these back office functions to another country where the task can be done um, at a more cost-effective rate. But I think the real benefit is taking that the next step and say, why are we doing this manually with people at all? Yes. We should be using people to a better... You know, using their intellectual capability in better ways than doing these manual processes over yep. and over again. Let's automate the manual process to start with. Uh, how, how many business process offshoring businesses are there? Oh, B BPOs? Oh, it's got to be a, 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 at least 100 or 200 or 300. But, <laughs> but what, what you're doing is you're not improving your business. No. You're making your labour cheaper. Yeah. That, that's fine. And, and in fact, the, the, you're actually you're very clearly defining your process to the point where you can't actually step outside of the process. Yeah. And every time a client comes in with, I've got this issue, blue, and it doesn't fit into the right box, but too bad, that's it gets stuck. 
and it just doesn't get resolved. There needs to be that ability to either um, yeah, have that free thought and ability to do things. And yep. But you can't do that if you're remotely removed from the business and you know that you've just got to do this particular function. Yeah, no, I agree. So that was a fascinating yeah. chat. You know, there's, a, there's an issue with skills um, and it's in software development, it's in standard IT mm. people, but very much it's in IT security people. Oh, IT really security, yes, absolutely. Um, I do wonder though, I mean, there's a, there's a big need to drive um, that training in the cyber area. Yep. Uh, more level one skills, more level two skills. But I, I just get the feeling that these level one skills are going to be the automated thing of the future. If you've got someone looking at a log for something or that looking for an that event. That was interesting. Or... Um, a few years ago, I was chatting to um, Nick Abrahams, who yes. gave us our presentation about oh, yes, Web3. Yes. And he'd been over at Stanford University looking at computational law. And hmm. computational law is using computers and software to remove what junior people in a law firm do. A mm. lot of what a junior lawyer would do apparently, and I'm not a lawyer, but is they go and look up precedents and find you know, cases which will yeah, represent, yeah. and all of that research, etc. But now the computers can do that. And he was saying the issue they've got is now there's no pathway for juniors in right. the industry, so how do you get right. the seniors? How do they, yeah, because by doing that research you're and learning. finding those cases, you're... Yeah connecting all the dots and yep. okay that's interesting because that's the same sort of thing when i'm looking at what like level one security engineers are doing now i think well come on we could automate that it's yes the, but it's, how do you get your level two that's right how do you get, how do you get yeah. to level two and three you yeah. can't just go straight there so no, that's a, it's an interesting concept okay so a um the economy oh now this was fascinating now i gave a there, there was an article that CRN did on me before this event, and mm. I was very negative on the economy. I was absolutely under the impression that we're heading for um, inflation would increase, interest rates would go up, that would have a negative effect on the housing market, there'd be a slump in the housing market, and it was pretty obvious that Australia was headed into a recession. And if you now look at that, and what's interesting, if you actually looked at the, the numbers at the point I gave that article, mm. I think that's the conclusion you draw from the graphs. However, now we're a couple of weeks along, we've seen some interesting things. We've seen the growth in inflation start to flatten out. Mm -hmm. There's a belief that interest rates will go up another 1.25 points, 1 1.5, and then, then stop and then come back because there's a bunch of fundamentals such as commodity prices which have come off their big highs. And with that all put together, the, at least the feedback we were getting from the amazing economists who spoke to us was that really we're not going to head into a big dip. It's all going to kind of calm down over the next couple of years. Yeah. Now, he also said almost everything he said. He said the hardest thing to do as an econ economist is predict that. Oh, of course, that of course. But that's, that's where the trend seems to be. Yep. There's, I tell you what, there's one key thing I learned. Go on. That's, that's, there are actually economists out there that have a pulse and can present in a, in a, oh, a, 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 a nice yeah. way, in a, you know, an engaging way that sort of makes economics seem like an interesting subject. Yes, even though it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it, was, it was a very good presenter. It was yeah, quite surprising. It was. <laughs> so, so I think that's um, wages are obviously on the way up, and I think until we get the results of the government job summit and they they do some things um we're going to see those continue to increase in certain areas yeah but there but there is strong business confidence 
Yes. Uh, and strong consumer confidence. Yes, as there, well. there is. There is. And although we're seeing you know, supply issues and wage increases, um, unemployment, sort of indifferent to where it was, slightly high, but dropping back down. Well, they were talking about unemployment. What was fascinating is the number of jobs is higher than the number of people who are unemployed. And obviously, you can never fill 100%. No, but what it does say is that there's, I think there's been a lot of jobs become available from. Uh, where we had foreign workers come in. Yes. And they've gone they've gone overseas recently. Yep. And those roles have not been able to be filled locally. Yeah. And the feedback on unemployment is we're at the lowest it could possibly be. Yeah. Basically, Which is dangerous as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because that just says it's not so much um, uh, a bad inflation issue, it's a business growth issue. Well, it's an economic growth issue. Yes. How do you grow your economy if you've got no one to... Yeah, okay. So well, that's that was where, interesting. That's where our industry comes in and does some software and automation and cool things like that's that. That's right. You, you've got to do with what you got. Yeah, you do. And, yeah, do, do more with what you got. So. Yep. Okay. Oh, now my favourite bit of the whole thing. Web three. Web three. Oh, I tell you what, this was this was a bit mind blowing in some concepts. I knew a lot of this was going on, but not anywhere near this sort of level and the involvement. Yeah. And it was so funny. Nick Abrahams went on stage and he said. If you're thinking about doing anything in the technology industry, Web3 blockchain tokens are going to be enormous in the next two years. Mm. And I think there was this massive intake of breath in the room when everyone went, you what? Yeah, yeah I, I, I did get that feeling from a lot of the people around me that was the... Uh, uh, hmm, has he got the right event? Maybe you should be speaking at the something down the road or all these things that are coming out are sort of... We don't really know a lot about this stuff yet they are driving key bursts in the industry. There's all these slides came up with all these companies that are doing things. So let's let's try and unpack mm. for everybody. And this is there's lots of complexity here. There's lots of new terms. So we'll try and keep it as simple as we can. Why is it called Web3? Let's start that. Okay. Web1 was what we called the read-only web. So when websites first came out, you went and looked at them. Yes. And then you looked at others. Web2 which is kind of where we are today, is the read-write web. Yeah. And the read-write web works that way because you can put data in. You can, okay. you can read the page and you can submit your details. And you can, you can submit your own content and all of those things. Okay. Web 3 gives control back to the user with the ability to make money out of it. So right, let me explain it. If you go onto something like Facebook or Twitter and you write a post... That post now really belongs to Facebook or Twitter. Yes, that's in that little fine print thing that everyone has clicks I accept yeah. on. Yes. Web3, you'll be able to submit your content and still retain ownership of it. Ooh. So, and not only will you be able to retain ownership of it, but you'll be able to monetize certain things. And, and there's lots of examples of this, but let me try and give you one I was, I was reading just not more than five minutes ago. Right now, when you go to the supermarket to buy your shopping, most people have one of those frequent, like, flybys cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yep. So what you've given the shop is your credit card details. That's right. Your name, your address, your date of birth, yes. and all sorts of identifying information. When you go to a club and you're not a member, they scan your driving licence. You're giving them a copy of your primary identity document, yes. and they're keeping a copy. Now, do you trust their computer system? To do that is really interesting. With Web3, you control your information and you choose who can see what when. Okay. So, for example, when I go into a club, 
I'm scanning my driving license to prove to the club that I don't live within that two kilometer okay, radius, the, the radius. And, I, yeah, and I'm yeah, old yeah. enough, right? But they should be able to go to a Web3. And Vincent Dominello in the New South Wales government is talking about this right now using Web3. So using the technologies of, of blockchain and cryptography and all these things to allow them to safely interrogate your data to say, does Scott live more than two k's away and is he old enough to come in? And it goes, yep, you don't need to know anymore. That's right. The data you need, you've been allowed to have. You don't have all his identity information. Which, which is... Which, which sort of addresses one issue and raises another. Yes. Then addresses the issue, I know I'm not going to have to worry about the club and where they're storing my data and how they're doing it and the fact that they're scanning my driver's licence. Yep. All I've got to worry about is how secure is the government? Well, well no, because the government's not running this either. It's a zero-trust platform. So ah. You're controlling your data. But you're encrypting okay, your data. But I have to put it somewhere. Um, you do. You are putting it on a blockchain. You're putting ah. it on a public ledger, but only your key can decrypt the bits you want. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, so what, what will happen in that scenario is your identity information, you'll put on the public ledger. A government body will also sign that, saying it's valid. Right. Okay. But it's still your information. And I can supply my key to the club for use at that point in time. No, you'll decrypt certain parts of that okay. data using your private key. Yes. The club knows it's you because you've done it with your public key Yes. and everything works cryptographically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. incredibly securely with zero trust. That's kind of fascinating. Um, see what that heads. So, so let's kind of unpack some of those things as well. So Web3 is going to be very different. And I think if you look in the news today, the New South Wales government is looking at replacing a whole heap of things they do with Web3 really quickly. Mm. Right? And I suppose once they get the framework in place... Yeah. Yeah. But, but then I'm sitting here going, hold on, this is back to the conversation. Most people in that room in our industry hadn't really thought about Web3, and here's the New South Wales state government about to implement it. Leading the way. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, what goes into Web3? Well, really, it's, it's a lot around the cryptographic technologies which underlie blockchain, which okay. underlie Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that. Let's, let's go back a step, and blockchain is a way of providing an immutable, so cannot be changed, ledger of transactions of whatever you right. want. So it's, it's like a, uh, um, a, a database list, a read-only database. Yes, but it can't be changed once it's written. Yeah. So, for example, it's very good for cryptocurrency because I can say I gave you five things Correct. and I can write that to the ledger and no one can change it and everybody can prove that happened. Okay. Securely. It's, and I won't get into the, no. the depth on that. I'll do a long presentation on that. But underlying this is kind of that, that, that blockchain world. And you've all have heard of Bitcoin and Ethereum mm. and all these kind of independent cryptocurrencies that are volatile as anything and, and not working very well. That's, I think, not going to be where most of this lives. If we no. look at who's building those types of things, it's the Reserve Bank of Australia, it's ANZ Bank, it's JP Morgan. What, what we are starting to see, though, are some actual uses for blockchain yes. that perhaps other technologies are not best suited to provide. Well, here's a great example. is the National Health Record. Right now, that's in a centralised database run by the government. Mm. None of us really trust that. Putting this onto a blockchain... So your data's there, it's approved, but only you can unlock which bits you want to when, mm. solves all of those problems. But I know initially when blockchain 
came out, it was all this, oh, we could do this, this, and everybody started using it just because they could, I think. Yes, and then sometimes it really wasn't in the right yeah. direction. And this is the, um, there's a, um, Gartner actually has this um, hype um, cycle that, that says uh, everybody gets on board and does it. Then everybody realises, oh, this thing actually isn't any better than what we've got. In fact, it could be worse. And the whole hype disappears. And then the new level of technology comes on. Yeah. Now we understand about it. We can actually go and so, so do I think, things. I think that's, yes, that's certainly happened to cryptocurrencies. But mm. cryptocurrencies are what are called fungible tokens. You cannot distinguish one Bitcoin from another Bitcoin or one half of a Bitcoin from another half of a Bitcoin. There's also another thing called the non-fungible token. And there's a real interesting marketplace in those. There is a, a marketplace of pixelated apes selling as non-fungible tokens for tens of thousands of dollars. And, and in this case, what you're talking about is a bitmap. Yeah. Yes, it's a JPEG it's, it's it's a, picture. It's a picture. A bunch of colored dots in a box form a picture so so everybody goes well how's this working and i think for a lot of people at least in my generation you go i don't know how it's working it's like baseball cards you can cryptographically prove that you own the only one of those and if there's a market to sell it because it's scarce and rare people will buy and trade yeah. it so it's, it's, this is a form of art it is a form of art and nobody understands art no it's like if i went and painted a painting somewhere and put it up for sale and someone says hey i'll give you two dollars probably yes. <laughs> for that uh, but it's unique it's yes. a one-off it's not a print yeah it's a it's an original and, and that's the issue with bitmaps is i can share a bitmap all over the world yeah. and you can't tell you can't prove i had the original now with non-fungible tokens you can but that's that's kind of the weird side of it what's not weird is some of the things they're doing um most major sporting codes now are doing non-fungible tokens where you can buy a, a picture of your favourite player mm. and they might only do 200 of them. And you know you're one of 200 people guaranteed who has this. That's an investment that you can trade later, just by buying the signed shirt or the baseball yeah. card. Well, so I suppose it's the same sort of thing of making prints of an original painting. Yeah. Uh, I think one of Nick's great examples was red wine. Oh, I love that one. So there's a, <laughs> he, he made the point that when you gift fine wine to people, mm. it's really risky. Fine wine has to be stored properly. It, it, it needs does. to be transported properly. Um, so what Penfolds have done is you can buy a non-fungible token which represents a bottle of wine which is in Penfold cellars, a real number mm. bottle of wine, and you can give somebody that token, you can share it, you can trade it, you can do whatever you want, but that token gives you the right to go to Penfolds and get that yeah, bottle of wine and, from them. And they would actually take care of that property, they would store it properly. Yeah. Uh, look, a, a friend of mine um, recently came to me and said, hey, I found this bottle of Grange under the house from 1981. Just all forgotten about. Yep. Then, look, oh, look at this. I said, what's this worth? I said, well, it depends. If you can sort of verify that it's been stored in appropriate conditions, temperature control, drier environment, it's you know perhaps it's been addressed certain ways over yep. the years, you may actually get a collector to come along and say this is a pristine example of this sort of wine and how good it is. But if you've had if it's been damp under there, if the temperature's been up and down or whatever, it, it may not actually be any good. Yep. Um, and this is the this is the and problem. that's why having an NFT of that bottle would have been so much better. Yeah. So if the bottle's been stored in a temperature controlled, yeah, you know, yep. dedicated wine fridge, uh, you know, professionally managed, um, and that, then yeah, yeah, it's actually worth something. So so let's go even further. Let's go to the metaverse. Ooh, I love the metaverse. So the new web is going to be three D, um, and so 
if you haven't ever played with a VR headset, an Oculus Quest 2 or something like that, go find one because it's a hell of an experience. But it's still a little disjointed, right? There's a bunch of work being done on making that truly immersive. Um, we as humans work in a 3D world. I've done meetings with my team um, in Horizons Workrooms, which mm. is a, a, a thing in, on the Oculus Quest, where it really feels like the two of you are physically together, even though you can't be. And that tech's getting better and better and better, but it's not there yet. <laughs> right? So all of this is coming, but JP Morgan have built an office in the metaverse. Mm. Uh, the, one of the hospitals in Dubai have a full live replica of their entire hospital in the metaverse. Mm. So you can choose if you want to go there. I think it's UAE, I'm not sure. It's yeah, UAE, yeah. But, but there's all of this work going on and it's being done by companies like McDonald's. Burger, uh, McDonald's will allow you to go to a McDonald's store in the metaverse, virtually order your burger and fries and have it physically delivered to your house. So you minimize your time away. Mm. Uh, I, it, and the concept's great, although I do know that the, the half-life of a Big Mac is in minutes, not in... Oh, I don't know. There's all these people who store them for years. They, oh, it could God. be really long. I wouldn't <laughs> eat it. But, but there's all of this work's going on, and there's about five... If give, give you an idea. There's probably five or six companies in Australia servicing this market. There's 7,600 Microsoft partners. So if you think about it from that point mm. of view, there is a massive skills experience and provider gap and yeah. all these companies are doing stuff this so. this is so we'll, we'll say like bleeding edge sort of stuff yeah um and the um admittedly they're large brand names who are saying this looks like it's going to go somewhere we need yeah. to have a position here we're going to put some dollars aside invest in this and take a stake or you know make sure yeah. we, we have a presence here if it takes off great we were there and we ran with the thing if it doesn't okay that's all right we protected our risk yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So that was that was kind of day one. Yeah. And, and what I think we should do is we'll we'll we'll, we'll wrap that at day one. I think yes. that's enough for people to absorb, and we'll come back and do another wind down on what happened in day two. So that was lots of fun, Scott. I, I yes. enjoyed unpacking that. And thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, if you do like what you see, please leave us a like um, and subscribe. And leave us a comment if you'd like us to discuss a topic that you think is interesting or we might be able to discuss. But thank you so much for watching. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.